0: Just James Horror Reviews. I'm your host, Just James. And today, we'll be going over the cult classic, Pumpkin Head. So turn down the lights, grab yourself some popcorn, and let's get creepy. This is episode 16. Today, everyone, we are going to be discussing the 1988 film, Pumpkinhead, a cult classic considered by many to be a cult classic. You either love it or hate it. It's basically an old monster flick. It's got, you know, the big uh, guy in the suit that's playing a monster. There's no CGI or anything because, again, this is the 80s, back when horror was really cool and you had to try hard at it. And right off the bat, I'll let you know what camp I'm, I'm in. I loved this movie. Now, I will say I haven't seen it a bunch of times. The last time I watched it was forever ago, and I barely remembered it, but when I watched it again for this particular episode, I really loved the movie and the story, and of course, you know, Lance Hen- Hendrickson's, Henrickson's, and there's no D in there, Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson was in it, and I just really, I, I don't know, I guess got more into the characters and, and doing it for the show, just looking into it a little bit deeper, it's a great story. Oh almost kind of a a fable in a way, you know, which I guess a lot of horror movies were back then. More so now, it's just like your slasher. There's no real message. It's just gore, gore, gore. Kill, kill, kill. Has its place. I love those movies just as much, too. But it is nice back when you had to have a little more story and a little more depth behind some of your movies. And, okay, I'm not going to say that uh, Pumpkinhead is some kind of... uh, masterpiece of horror or that it's got this crazy deep intellectual message. It is just a horror movie about a giant fat headed monster. They call him Pumpkinhead. It's really the only reason there's pumpkins in this thing is because this thing lives in a graveyard that or exists in a graveyard. Does he live? I don't know. It's a demon, so we'll get into that. But anyway, it just it occurs in a pumpkin patch or what used to be a pumpkin patch. So that is one of the flaws in this movie, I'll say, is the whole pumpkin head just the title itself. I think if they would have called it something else. Of course, then I think it would lose some of its culty classic feel if it had some kind of cooler name. This generic, what someone wrote on a napkin and thought would be even. Uh, Lance Henriksen said that when he first got the script, he thought the name at first kind of threw him off because he was gonna think he was thinking it was gonna be some guy running around with a big pumpkin on his head or like a Sleepy Hollow type thing. So either way. Let's get into it. Like I said earlier, 1988 film. The director of this film is gonna be Stan Winston. Now if that name sounds familiar, it's because Stan Winston is the, the makeup, special effects, you know, sultan of the 80s. So looking at, you know, I didn't know the name, but you'll know all of his movies. He did makeup effects for Terminator, Aliens, Jurassic Park, freaking Austin Powers, Interview with a Vampire, Batman Returns, just any movie that you liked when you were a kid, if you were, you know, younger and watching that kind of stuff in the 80s and 90s. This guy had his little grubby fingers in it and was probably doing the makeup effects. He even did makeup effects for The Thing, Friday the 13th, and freaking Roots, for Christ's sake. I mean, he's done everything he's been doing special effects since the 70s and uh, you know you can tell he's just a master at the craft and that's why I'm sure he was called on to do all these different movies it credits him as being the director as well his other director credits don't I mean there's only like three or four other ones so this would be the only one that's really the standout but his makeup design and his makeup effects and all is what he's really really that name is going to be synonymous with. So there were some other writers that were involved in the story. They don't really have any other credits that I'm going to note on here, but you can look them up. Uh, As far as notable actors go, of course, Lance Hendrickson was in here. If you don't know who that is, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you do know who that is. So you might not know that's his name, but he's been in, again, just like the makeup effects guy, he's been doing movies since the 70s, and he's been in everything. He does voice acting for... Video games, cartoons, other movies. He's in a ton of horror movies and also dramas and other stuff. He was Bishop in Aliens, is probably going to be the most notable for horror fans who have seen this movie. Aliens came a few years, uh, was out a few years before. I think maybe like two, two or three years before this movie, which the concept of the monster. Once, if you've seen this film, you know it looks a lot like. The monster or the alien from Aliens, the alien from Aliens, it looks very much like that, the Xenomorph. Okay, I know it's a Xenomorph, it's an alien, whatever, dude. So just a couple of different other thing, other movies and stuff that he was in that you might recognize. He was a, a voice in the Mass Effect video games. He was a voice in Transformers. He was a voice in Call of Duty. He was oddly enough credited or marked as a uncredited passing by motorist in jennifer's body i thought that was kind of strange i don't know i have to rewatch it now to see where he shows up because i haven't seen that film in a while so he was in screamers if you've never seen screamers we're definitely going to do a review on that movie because it is sci-fi gold it's from way back when the golden age of sci-fi and let's see he was in one of the hellraisers scream 3 x-files can i get a shout out for x-files and he was king bowser in the old mario movie so how timely that this is coming out with the Mario, and the last one we did had John Leguizamo, and then this one's got King Bowser in it. Now, you might remember from the movie, King Koopa, who was the other guy, I can't remember his name, but he was more memorable, so don't get him confused. He wasn't King Koopa, he was King Bowser. Yeah, so, know your Mario. Anyway, my favorite movie that he was in though, out of all these, Hard Target, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. You remember it, when, when Jean-Claude Van Damme was awesome, so... He was in Hard Target. I just thought that was kind of funny. Everyone else in the film is... They all have different acting credits and stuff, but I don't really get into it. But I do want to mention that a... Uh, oh, how do you say her name? May was in it. Now, if you don't know who that is, and it sounds kind of familiar, it's because she is Sheldon's girlfriend from Big Bang Theory. She's in this as kind of a... She's not really an extra, but it's a really, really small part. But she was in the Big Bang Theory. Or... If you're like me, she's Blossom from the old sitcom, Blossom. So she was in this. So those are two notable people in there. So let's get started with this movie. It starts out, it says, has a timestamp of 1957, and it shows a family in a cabin, and the dad, they all look very country, uh, Appalachian type, just dirty, small cabin, whatever. And he's sitting there holding this sweet, very typical, long-barreled, side-by-side shotgun. And they all look very worried, and there's this weird red glow inside the cabin. Now, they do have a fire going, but the lighting in this movie sets the tone extremely well. Inside the cabin, there's this bright red glow. Everyone's just washed out in it, and then outside, there's this blue... Now, of course, it's at night, and I guess it's supposed to be the moon glare or something like that, but it's obviously, you know, lighting, like studio lighting. But it puts a blue, creepy, almost dreamy hue on everything outside. So they're in the cabin. They're looking worried. It's a mom and dad, and there's a kid in the bed, and they're trying to get him to bed. Of course, it's all in one room. There's a man outside, and he's running around, and he's screaming. He's got blood all over him. He's scared. And he comes to the cabin, and he starts banging on it and saying that they won't they won't let me in. They won't let me in. And then he says something else, like, I didn't kill that girl. I didn't kill that girl. So you're, as this is all going on, you're trying to figure out, like, what in the world's outside? Why won't they help this guy? And even the kid's asking, like, Mom, why won't we let him in? And she says, We can't, we can't help him, honey. We can't help him. So the the guy you start hearing these noises out in the woods, and and the guy hears them too. He turns around and he starts running, and then he's caught by this huge, weird, alien-looking monster. When I say alien, I mean like the xenomorph. He has that, you know, backwards kneecap shape. He's real tall, his spines are exposed. He's got these huge shoulder bony just things all over him and he's got a big tail looks very very much like the xenomorph oh so much so that it's kind of hard to. you almost have to dismiss that out of your mind as you're watching it because that's all you'll be able to think as you're seeing it however this thing catches him and it's holding him up and you just assume it's it's killing him or choking him or whatever but as this guy's being murdered by this big alien monster the kid you see that the kid is up and he's seeing it through his window so wherever his parents are or whatever he's able to see this guy getting iced out there and there's a sil it's a cool shot there's like a silhouette of the big tall pumpkin head thing holding this guy up into the air so you can tell he's super strong you know it doesn't look hard to hold this up it's a uh, silhouetted with that blue background out into the woods and again that's another part that's cool about this movie even if it is just a cheesy you know, kind of 80s horror flick, the lighting and everything and what they do in the movie is, it's very, it's very effective. So it's got that blue, almost ghostly, hauntingly blue haze behind it while this thing's killing this guy. And the kid's watching it and he's backlit by all this really uh, dense red light that's supposed to be from the fireplace. They also do good, sa- it, there's good like soundboard stuff in this movie as well too, except for, and I'm going to say it, That weird, I'm gonna, it's a chittering sound. I don't know how else to describe it. I don't even really know if that's a word. I think I've heard it somewhere before, but it's just like this weird chittering, almost like a snake rattle sound that's been had some effects put on it. And that is supposed to be the sound of when you know that this monster thing is getting close. And I've just never been a fan of, and they do it a lot today, ever since The Ring and all that, when they have these horror, whatever it is, whether it's a ghost or or a killer or a demon or whatever, and they do the weird it's like they're, it's like they're like a bug it's they do like bug noises and weird uh you know stop motion movements like a bug would they like they skitter around they have the weird chittery sounds and the whole sideways head michael myers thing i've never been a fan of that i just don't know when these tropes became so popular because they're just not scary you, you know what you know what does that weird sideways head thing like a dog when you whistle at it it turns its head sideways it's you know, it's something that we laugh at on America's Funny at Home videos. So when I see Michael Myers or the new Jason or something on one of these, uh the, you know, they did it in that new Evil Dead. uh Shout out to the Gravely Serious guys. They just did one on the newest, the oldest newest Evil Dead. So go give them a listen. It's pretty cool. But it reminded me of that movie when, they have all these weird demon characters and they're doing the weird sideways head thing and I don't know, it's just, it's like, it just reminds me of a bug. It's just not scary. I don't know. So the chittery sound in this is what I'm saying is it wasn't scary. I didn't like it. All right, enough on that. So it, it cuts to that scene. You don't really get to see anything after that other than the monster holding that guy up and it cuts to the present and I'm going to guess the present is going to be the 80s. So that's going to be the time period of what the, movie is filmed in so lance and it starts out with lance uh henrickson shirtless with a flamethrower hell yeah and he's out there and uh, these uh like shithead tourist people come by and they got a bunch of dirt bikes on a trailer and stuff like that and he's living out somewhere where it's not it's funny because it looks very rural there's a bunch of trees and and stuff like that where the monster is but his shop is like out almost looks like the desert and all these kids are out there riding dirt bikes so it that part was kind of weird for me where you're in this wooded mountainy area and then he's got this shop like a general store type thing that's out on the side of the road and it is not wooded it's very dirt mounds and stuff like that places where people go to have fun on dirt bikes so the Lance Hendrickson's character's name is Ed Harley, which is a fucking cool name. His name's Ed Harley. You find out that he owns this general store. It shows him there, and he has his son with him. And there's a very kind of enduring scene of him and his son before they go to the store where you can tell they very much care about each other. You, They want you to know that this character, this Ed Harley character, loves his son very much. You don't see the mother around anywhere or any other family member, so you're assuming. The assumption is it's just the two of them, and you know they just look very, uh, very much a family unit that loves each other so they go to the general store they're working and as he's there the same tourist you know your typical young just kind of asshole teens show up to that store and as soon as they show up one of the guys starts getting his dirt bike off and he's going to just ride it right there around the store so while that's going on they go in they check the store out and a truck pulls up like a your typical farmer work truck Pulls up with a bunch of kids in the back, and this scene for me was so cheesy just because the kids were stereotypes of, you know, I, I, I would say stereotypes of a Appalachian family, maybe in the 80s or maybe even before that. So they show up, all the kids are just covered in dirt and their hair's all dirty, the truck's covered in dirt, everything is just completely filthy and the farmer gets out and he's kind of a no nonsense guy, just comes up. He's there to get what he needs. You can tell that him and Ed have a, just kind of a working relationship. They know each other, but they're just kind of short. You know, you can tell they're not real great friends or anything. So while the farmer dad is inside talking to, he, uh, to Ed, his kids are outside making fun of their little brother and they start singing the pumpkinhead song. Now, the Pumpkinhead song that they're singing is, you can tell, this is a way to establish that there is a local lore about this creature that runs around and it's dangerous and it'll kill you, and its name is Pumpkinhead. Now, what they're singing is a throwback to a poem that was written by a guy named Ed Justin, and I couldn't find anywhere on the year it was written, but it's called Head and it's about this thing that'll come around and kill you. It's not necessarily... they say Some people were saying that's what the movie was based on, but the poem doesn't really go into themes of revenge and loss and stuff like that like the movie does so if it's based on it it's just because it's called pumpkin head and it's about this thing that'll find you and kill you so anyway they're pestering the little brother with that one of the teens that's over there she ends up telling them to stop because she sees the kid getting picked on and she ends up feeling bad for him and saying something. And there's a cool scene, these little tiny, you know, nuggets throughout films that are fun just to kind of help us flesh out these characters that don't have much to them. She says that, takes up for the kid, and her, I think it's going to be her boyfriend or something, Is he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I was just about to say something right before you did. And I think that kind of establishes that this dude is not as, I I don't know how you want to say it, He's he's not as tough, you know, whatever that means to you. He's not tough enough to stick up for somebody like she was. You know, he's going to say, oh, yeah, I was going to do that. But he didn't. She did. He didn't. And I think that establishes his character as kind of being a wiener when it comes to sticking up for people, which will come up later. So the farm guy is, I think he's wanting some seed or something like that, something that Ed doesn't have in the shop. And Ed's like, well, I can get it to you later today. I just got to go to the house and get it. And I forgot it. So. Ed leaves his son there, and I don't know how old this kid is. He looks like maybe he's four or five or something. I'm not real good with kid ages, but I'm gonna say he's anywhere between the ages of three to five. He's too little to be left at a country general store out in the middle of nowhere with six strange young teenage tourists that are riding dirt bikes around. But, that's what he does. So he leaves them there to go get the feed. He leaves his son there in the store with their pet dog, and he's gone. So, Just to kind of fast forward through this, the dog ends up running out of the store for whatever reason, and the kid runs after him. Well, when the kid runs out, these dirt bike guys, the guys that are on the dirt bike, they're kind of ramping over the dunes. And if you've ever done anything like that, or well, I mean, if you've ever just been over a hill, you can't see a blind hill, right? You can't see what's on the other side. So one of the guys on the dirt bikes comes over, and as he does, he sees the kid running and he wrecks out because he tries to jerk his motorcycle out of the way. So he wrecks out. Well, the second guy comes over and has zero time to do anything. So he just lands. Right on the kid. And it's good that this part happens at this time in the movie because I mean it's not good that it's not good that a kid gets run over the motorcycle, but it's good that it happens because up to this point you really don't know where all this is going. It just kinda you're just kind of in the weeds with the storyline. And then when this happens, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. Now we're now we're getting into something, right? So this accident happens. The, the kids are a mix of uh, guys and girls. I, I think some of them are dating. I think one guy's there with his brother. So there's some relationships going on there. And as soon as the one guy that hits the kid, you know, everyone else is freaking out and they're grabbing the kid and they're trying to help him out. And he's just, he's motionless. One girl said, oh my gosh, he's cold and all this other stuff. So you're thinking, man, this kid is dead already. You know, whatever happened. Now there's they don't show him a lot as far as you don't see if, you know, his head split open or if he's got blood coming out of his nose or anything like that he just lays there motionless so while they're tending to him the guy that hit him with the motorcycle is goes back and puts his motorcycle on the trailer and he's getting everything loaded up and his brother comes over to him and he's like "Yo, what are you you're like what are you doing man we got to go we got to take care of this kid and then you find out that his brother is a dirtbag that just got out of prison and he's on parole or whatever, so he can't... He's, he's like, you know, I'm not going back to jail. I'm not going back to jail or prison over this kid. You, you know, and they're telling him, hey, it was an accident. Don't worry about it. And he's like, screw this. I'm out. So he gets in the truck and just leaves him. Well, then everyone else decides to leave, too, except for one guy decides... Which I'm going to say is the prison dude's brother. I think he's the one that... Yeah, he's the one that hangs around with the kid. He's like, you guys go to the cabin and call for help because you know, at this time no cell phones or anything, so they're like, Well, we can't just sit here. You guys go ahead and go to the cabin, try to call for help. I'll stay here for when the dad gets back. So they split, the dad comes back, the one guy's there, and when Ed finally figures out what's going on, he sees them out there. They're kind of they're kind of a short distance away from the store, but he sees them over there because he's flagging him down. Comes over there he grabs his son. He doesn't say really anything. He just kind of scoops him up. You can tell he's worried and thinking about what to do. And he starts walking off. And finally, the guy, you know, because what do you say if that happens? You know, the, you, the kid's trying to think of what the teenage dude is trying to think of what to say to the dad. And then finally, he's just like, it, w- it was an accident or something like that. And Ed Harley's character gives him the mother of all stink eyes i would love to know how many takes it took to get that perfect just i'm gonna kill you just disgusted dead man walking kind of stink eye that he gives this dude in the movie because it is spectacular so it flashes to everyone back at the cabin and they're all kind of freaking out and and trying to figure out what to do and Some of them are wanting to take care of the kid. Well, Joel is the guy on the motorcycle. He's the dude that's out on parole. He ends up kind of losing it. He hits one dude in the head with a piece of wood because he's, because Joel is trying to keep them there. He's like, no one's leaving. He cuts the phone cord and does all this crazy stuff. So now we have this odd, like hostage situation, I guess, where he's not going to let anyone leave until he can figure out what he's going to do about the problem that's happening. We cut back to Ed. He's got his son in the truck. They drive back to their place. And he's sitting there with his son, and he's just trying to console him. And I thought that, and I would think anyone watching would think that the kid was dead at this point. He's just driving around with his dead son. But back at the house when he's, you know, just trying to comfort him and and talking to him or whatever. And the son, he kind of picks his head up for one minute, and he just says, Daddy. And then he lays down, and then you understand that he's dead. It is sad as fuck. And Ed Hardy, or Ed Harley... And, you know, the actor Lance Henriksen does a great job of this, of establishing this relationship, this love loss. And the revenge element starts to build from this point forward. But it is a super sad scene. And for it to be such a cheesy movie at so many different points, it does have a lot of really good... I mean, Lance carries the film with his acting absolutely sells every second that he's on the screen, whether it's with a guy in a big monster makeup suit or whether it's with these other, you know, college kid actors so he does a fantastic job oh and I forgot back at the general store there's a sign on the the front of the building somewhere that says it says something weird like hope lost or hope ends here or something like that and I'll have to go back and watch it to see what that was but if you notice that or if you've read somewhere what that sign was all about or if it's an advertisement for something back then comment in the comment section let me know what that's all about because I saw it for just a brief moment and I made a A little note of it here, and I just have no idea what what that was for. I got a note here that just says that, but I I don't know what that's about. All right, so Ed's kids, he's dead. So he puts him in the truck, and he does what I think any of us would do. He decides to go to the farmer's house to deliver the seed that he was going to deliver, and decides to ask the guy who, you can tell, has been generations living on the mountains, ask him about, hey, where can I find the best local witch to help me take care of this issue and maybe bring my kid back from the dead? So we got this Pet cemetery vibe thing kind of popping off right here. Well, the farmer, oh, and when he pulls up to this guy's property, there are kids everywhere. I mean, everywhere. They're just running around just like animals all over the place. And, of course, they're all shoeless and and dirty, and it's just very, uh, the, the stereotype is nearly laughable with the whole farm. I don't know what they were trying to do with that. But anyway, he goes up, he talks to the guy, and the old man pretty much tells him, I can't help you. I don't even know what you're talking about. And then Ed tells him, I've seen it. So you find out that Ed is the kid, which you kind of knew anyway from the cutscene. but Ed is the kid in the cabin that actually saw Pumpkinhead murdering that guy that night. So he tells the farmer, hey, I've seen it. I know he exists. And I know that you know that there's an old lady that lives up here that can put me in touch with this monster thing or magic or whatever it might be. And the farmer finally just tells him, that lady can't do nothing but take you straight to hell. And yeah, so that's that. So he says, So he tells him he just needs to take his kid because he shows him his kid's in the front seat under a blanket. Takes his kid, shows him, and the farmer just tells him, you need to get out here and go bury your son. That's what you need to do. So Ed's driving off. He's trying to figure out what to do, and one of the kids from the farm stops him as he's leaving and tells him pretty much, hey, I can help you out. I know who you're looking for, and I can take you to her. And check it out. It's a witch named Haggis. How cool is that? That's... That's a witch name if I've ever heard one. Haggis. Haggis the witch. So he he says, I'll take you halfway to her, but I'm not taking you all the way to her because Ed's going to force him to go with him. He gives him some cash to tell him where it's at. And they go up there about halfway, and he's like, I'm not going up there. That lady gives me the creeps. So he manages to make it to Haggis's place, which is a beautiful, witchy, Shrek-looking, boggy log cabin and it's got you know the pond scum around it and it's just it's it's a cool set it's a really cool set and it gives off those witchy vibes just perfect so he goes up there he talks to haggis she's got this weathered old you know full of lines just typical stringy haired big old you know finger like claw-like fingernails really just haggard voice witch perfect man you want to know why it's a cult classic it's because of things like this right it's just such an 80s horror movie scene so he goes in there Uh, again there's this play with the light they have this red glow from the fire that shows on her face she looks ancient i mean she really does she looks ancient the, the character of haggis when when she's on the screen and so ed comes to her and she says i can't do nothing about your boy she just flat out tells him like hey i can't bring people back from the dead. That's not something I do. And he brings up Pumpkinhead and he says, you know, I've heard stories that you can call on Pumpkinhead to avenge someone. And she says, it comes with a powerful price. Well, she doesn't say it like that. She says, it comes with a powerful price. And it's cool as shit. And this this perfect witchy voice. And I love it. So she gives him what he gives her a bunch of silver or something like that. And she gives him a uh, directions. She gives him directions to go get this pumpkin head thing. And where is it? Well, it's in an old pumpkin patch that's now a graveyard that's on top of Razorback Holler. Of course it is. So he goes up there. He goes to this old pumpkin patch. And he's like, how am I going to know which one it is? And she's like, oh, you'll know. And she says his name a lot when she talks. I won't uh, berate your ears with my witch voice anymore. But she says his name. Just her cadence of speech and everything. Man, it's just so spot on. I just love it. And... So he goes up there to Razorback Holler. He's at this big old pumpkin patch graveyard thing and he sees a big tree stump and he just assumes like, hey, this has got to be it. So he digs up the middle of it, pulls out this, you know, mummified corpse thing that's all gnarled up and brings it back to the witch. The witch does. Of course, what witches do. Got to get some blood on that thing. So she cuts his hand and the craziest part is... You know in a lot of movies when you got to cut your hand for something you're making like a blood pack or something like that what do they always do they grab the knife blade or they prick their finger something like that no this witch just straight stabs him in the top of the hand i mean just right just like digs this big blunt butter knife looking thing right into the top of his hand gets some blood from him and gets i'm, I'm going to say i think well almost i think she gets some blood from his son as well puts it together puts it on the mouth of this you know, a mummified looking thing, and then within just a couple of seconds, it chia pets right up off the, the bed and it grows real big, and boom, Pumpkin Head is alive. And how do I know he's alive? Well, two things. One, because he stands up and he's real little at first, and then he grows to this large monster size really quick. But also, because we have everybody's favorite weird, chittering, rattle, grasshopper at night sound that comes along with him. So... Another part that I might have forgot to mention was the witch says that for each of man's evils, a special demon exists. So, this is how we know something I didn't catch when I watched the movie a long time ago is that he is a demon, not just some kind of weird graveyard monster cursed soul thing. He's actually a demon. And you make a, a pact with the devil, so to say, with this demon for him to fix whatever it is that you want. And, of course, any time you make a deal with the devil, there's always some fine print. And that's what she was trying to tell him by saying, you know, it comes with a powerful price. So Haggis tells him that he can leave now, that it's been done. Don't worry about it. It's all been set into motion. So he takes his son and he leaves. And as he's driving away, he's going to go bury his son now. But his son gets up in the cab of the truck, just kind of sits up and says daddy, what'd you do? Or something like that. And, you know, he, he's just having some kind of hallucination, right? His son is very much dead, but he has hallucinations happen. And again, it's just one of those little, it's just kind of a a little intense scene, emotional scene that's kind of peppered in there to still give this thing some, some teeth to really, to really give it some meat on the emotional scale, instead of it just being a hokey eighties, you know, monster flick. And the the guy who plays the guy who plays ed harley actually said when he was reading the script that he wasn't too sure about it like as he was reading the script for for everything and then when it came to that scene that he actually had an emotional reaction as he was reading it and that's when he knew this was a movie that he wanted to be a part of because he felt the whole the love the revenge and all that and you find out that when ed harley goes to bury his son it's next to a gravestone that is his wife, and so now you know that he's lost his wife, and now he's lost his son. He lives way up in the mountains somewhere, and it's just him, and he's all alone. And I think on the gravestone it says Betty Lynn Harley, or Be- Betty, Lynn- Betty Lynn Harley is his wife, and there's a quote underneath it that says, budded on earth to bloom in heaven. That's what it says on her tombstone, and I thought that's some, some hillbilly shit right there, which I can speak to, okay, so... That's definitely some hillbilly stuff. Anyway, so this happens, and Pumpkinhead, and this is what I I like. He gets right to work, okay? There's not this big, huge setup of noises in the woods or scratching on the walls or anything like that. He gets to killing because it's revenge time, and Pumpkinhead is here for one reason, to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and guess what? Pumpkinhead don't chew bubble gum. So he gets out there. He goes to the cabin to where everybody's staying, And he kills Steve, I believe is the character's name. And it's funny because when he kills Steve, Steve is actually outside trying to help one of the female characters who is still kind of in shock from the kid. And he's holding this cross and he's like, you got to, you know, use this to help you. This is what's going to get you through and all this kind of stuff. And while he's saying that, Pumpkinhead comes out and just grabs him and starts killing him. And then it cuts to Joel having this heartfelt reawakening inside the cabin. So Joel remembers the guy that actually ran over the kid and he's in there saying stupid stuff like, yeah, I've been a screw-up my whole life and but you know what, that changes right now, that changes today. Now, imagine though, he's saying this and he actually has some of his friends locked in a pantry and not letting them leave and he's got a shotgun and refuses to let anyone leave the cabin except for the two that were let out in the woods where he was trying to help that girl in shock, I guess. But he's saying all this stuff and You're like, oh, okay, well, this guy's going to, you know, maybe he's going to wind up being our anti-hero. He's going to kill, you know, something like that's going to happen. So he gets up, he's going to let his friends out of the pantry, he opens the door, and it's right about as soon as he opens it up and he's going to have this life-changing event, I guess, where he's going to turn over a new leaf and just try to disappear, you know, into the U.S. somewhere and and just kind of run away from all of his problems. The girl that was having the panic attack or whatever earlier runs in, to tell him that his brother is outside getting absolutely fucking wrecked by Pumpkinhead. And this is almost an hour into the movie, so you're really only going to get, you know, about 30 minutes of Pumpkinhead action, but I, I think it's a good balance because it set up everything before to make this more realistic. And two, I think too much of this monster would have, you know, made it look too cheesy because, after all, he is a guy in a suit, he looks like a guy in a suit, and I think too much of it is just gonna you know lose some of that flavor so they go outside they' look he's looking for his brother and well before they go outside it shows the one who was with his brother while he was why he got snatched up and she's just kind of rocking back and forth and saying prayers and her friend that was with her she goes over to the kitchen starts looking for something' it's, re- it's a cool scene because she grabs like a meat cleaver and a butcher knife and she just says in case God doesn't show badass 80s lines man and anyway they go to leave they open the door and as soon as they go to run out uh, Joel's brother's body is just hanging upside down it just drops just from the you know head first in front of the door and then it's just hanging there so something's holding it and then you look up and you realize you see the big pumpkin head creature hand that's holding him there and of course everyone's freaking out and while One of the characters' name is Maggie. While she's sitting there screaming, Pumpkinhead just grabs her by the top of her head and just pulls her up all slow. I mean her feet are kicking and everything. You just see her kind of disappear just real slow, right over the roof of the house. And of course everyone else is screaming for her and they're trying, you know, they can't get to her. And so here we figure out about the monster that he's he can just kind of be anywhere. He he's able to be high, low. He's not hiding in the basement or anything like that. You understand that he's huge and that he's really powerful and that he has no problem just picking them off. Like he wasn't worried that they were going to fight him or kill him or butcher knife him or whatever. The one guy has a shotgun and he's just there just picking them off one by one. And I do like that he does all this real slow. There's not anything, there's no swift movements in anything he does. Now, obviously that's a restriction of the bodysuit and what they're doing, but I think it's very indicative of that particular character character and part of the horror of this, you know, just just like any of your slasher films, you know, it's just big, strong, intimidating thing. And it moves real slow, it doesn't have to move fast, and it's going to get you no matter what you do. So it jerks Maggie up over the roof, and every time this thing goes to kill, Ed... It, he starts having like a seizure type effect on him. You, you know, you can tell like his head hurts. He drops to his knees. That weird chittering sound comes back. And you he it's it's like he's seeing through Pumpkinhead's eyes. He's starting to feel these murders in his body. Well, it's driving him mad. So he goes back to Haggis and he wants to make it stop. Well, Haggis already knew he was about to show up and pull all this. And this scene of him asking her to make it stop is really... uh, it's 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 done really well because you know, a witch in most of these stories and and how they're, you know, portrayed in horror and all this kind of stuff is not supposed to be a good person. She's the one who makes deals with the devil and all that kind of stuff. And, and and that's exactly what happens. He goes back and you're looking for a little, you know, he's just looking for some sympathies. Like, Hey, you know, he's thinking I was mad. I was doing stuff in the heat of the moment. I didn't mean to do this. Well, too late. You already made a deal with the devil. You made a deal with a witch who made a deal with the devil. She's just kind of your, you know, your go between, I guess, but she just laughs at him and it's, awesome you know she's just laughing at him as he's sitting there in all this pain he just lost his son and now he's kind of lost his soul to all this and he wants it all to just stop and she just laughs at him and there's this really dramatic almost stage dramatic scene where he's grabbing the sides of his head and he's like god damn you god damn you haggis and she's just laughing and it's fuck, it's done so well so she's cold-blooded she smiles and she says He already has, he already has Ed Harley. And dude, it is so good. If you don't like this movie, look, I get it. It is cheesy, but man, some of the lines and some of the scenes in here are just fucking gold. So anyway, all right, so we're moving on. She says there's nothing you can do about it. So he decides he's going to run out and try to do something about it himself. He doesn't know what, but he's got to get to these kids and try to help them out, maybe fight the monster or whatever. So that's what he goes off to do. The movie cuts back to the cabin. Remember, Maggie got pulled up over the top. The survivors are inside, trying to figure out what to do. Well, while they're inside trying to figure out to do, remember Joel, our dirtbag. He's still alive, and he's in there with I'm gonna say his girlfriend. While they're trying to figure out what to do, Maggie comes up to the window and slaps the. You know, it's a jump. Oh, that's another thing too. There's a lot of lot of good jump scares in this movie too. It's it's just full of them. They're everywhere. So it's one of those definitely, you know, cuddle up on the couch with your favorite big sweat, oversized sweater and whoever it is you like to cuddle up on the couch for movies with, grab some popcorn, turn the lights off and enjoy all this classic 80s cinema and all these really cool jump scares. So jump scare, bam, she slaps the window and it's her face. And you quickly realize that she's not slamming the window cause you see the big fingers around her head. It's pumpkin head has pushed her head up against the window And then he's like pressing it into the window and kind of smearing it back and forth. And the girlfriend passes out. Well, you think that's, in my mind, like he's just going to do this and then drop away to lure him outside. Nope. He goes ahead and finishes it. He just pushes her head and smashes her through the window and throws her over the counter. And then you see a bunch of like blood oozing out over. her. So now Maggie's gone, right? So he's got Joel and his girlfriend, and I think there might be another guy that's still alive at this point. So they ditch the cabin. They decide they can't stay there if they're going to live. They run out in the woods and take their chances because at least they'll have, maybe they'll find something. They end up on the property of the farmer from the beginning, the one who knew where Haggis lived and, you know, had been living in the mountains for generations or whatever. They go there and he meets them with a shotgun. And he's telling them, you know, get off my property. They're saying we need help. And he pre- that that's kind of where they find out that this thing and these people that live here know about it. And they're not going to get any help from him. Because he shuns them pretty much like the guy at the beginning of the movie when he was banging on the door and trying to get some help. And they were just pushing him away. As they turn to leave, guess who it is? Pumpkinhead. He's there to get him. And this is probably the best shot you're going to get of his form and what he looks like, just kind of a full scene shot of his whole entire body uninterrupted by weird lights or trees or any, unobscured is what I'm trying to say. So this is this is the part where you really get to see how cool this monster looks. And again, they call him Pumpkinhead. His head is just elongated. It's got this weird, uh, actually like the xenomorph, it just kind of, it's it, 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 it it's backwards, I don't even know how to describe it It just it's backwards, it's like an eggplant laying on top of his neck, is kind of what it looks like so, you get a good look at him and he comes over to kill him, and before he gets to him a shot—a shotgun blast goes off and it's it he ends up shooting the monster it falls down and Joel the parole guy, this goober decides to walk over to the thing and they're like, well hold on, we don't know if it's dead everyone's freaking out, tell him not to do it, and he just walks over to it, and He's sitting there looking at it, and then he... uh, Remember, he has a gun. I don't know if you remember, but he has a gun at this point, too. So he walks over and just point-blank smokes it right in the dome with uh, his rifle or shotgun or whatever it is that he has. And the thing I like the most about this scene is that it doesn't waste any time. So he he shoots this thing, and he just kind of looks up like, yeah, it's dead now. And then it instantly just grabs him. There's not this big... Pause in time from oh we think it's dead and we're gonna talk about some stuff now that thing just goes ahead reaches over and grabs him and trips him and he falls to the ground pumpkin head stands up and he's got the shotgun in his hand so you know this thing knows how to hold a gun or whatever but it's a really cool scene of of him standing there holding a shotgun it's just a neat I don't know it'd be a cool tattoo or a poster or something I think of that pumpkin head character <laughs> holding the shotgun so he takes it and he points it down at Joel. And he puts the barrel on him and you think, oh, he's going to do the same thing. You know, he shot Pumpkinhead point blank. Now Pumpkinhead's going to shoot him point blank. But Pumpkinhead don't know how to shoot. That's just a big metal stick to him. So what does he do? Stabs it through that guy's chest and picks him up on the end of it like a spear and then just eyeballs him while he dies. So that's pretty cool. While all this is going on, Ed is dropped to the ground. Because remember, when Pumpkinhead is killing someone, Ed is being affected However, psychologically, physically, whatever, he's on the ground kind of writhing or whatever. Where there's a dog, one of the dogs comes out and attacks Ed while he's on the ground. Well, when it bites his arm and shoulder or whatever, Pumpkinhead drops Joel on the ground. And you realize that if you hurt Ed, it hurts the Pumpkinhead monster. And so when they shot him and they did all that stuff and they shot the monster, nothing's going to happen, he's not going to die. Ed is the source of his life. He's the reason that he exists. So as long as Ed exists, the pumpkin head monster is going to exist until his task is complete, which is revenge. This is also a call back to where Haggis told him that it comes with a powerful price because now he knows if he really wants to get rid of this thing and stop it, he's going to have to do something to himself to end this this nightmare, right? All right, so everyone splits everybody runs the two survivor the two surviving you know college kids or whatever they take off and one of the kids from the farm decides he wants to help them because they go to remember they went to the farmhouse looking for help and he wants to help them. And he's heard the story about pumpkin head but he doesn't he just really wants to know if it's real or not so he goes out there to help them. he gives them the story of what Pumpkin head is and they told him why because he wants to know why is he coming after you guys. They tell him that he, they were responsible for killing the kid. And so he goes to help him. Well he takes him to this old abandoned church, and the old abandoned church is a sweet set piece. You know, it's just all all the blacks and blues and the colors and everything that they use for this set piece is really good. But the scene itself just kind of lacks because they run in there and he's like, I think you'll be safe here because it's you know, it's got all these, it's got crosses and stuff and it's a holy place and I don't think he can come here. Well, guess what? Pumpkinhead storms the party. He runs up in there and smashes a cross, and then just keeps on walking through. So you can tell like he didn't like the place, but it didn't stop him whatsoever. So all this comes to a head as they all meet in a I don't know what it is. It's someone's house. There's a barn or something. I can't remember whose barn or whose house this is. Maybe it's Ed's. But they all meet there, and it's this big open area where it's almost like a showdown. So any good 80s flick is going to have some type of montage in it, and there's one here of Ed, and so I guess it is his place. He builds, remember, the very, very, very beginning, that shirtless scene with him with his flamethrower. He's doing some, what do they call that? It's like clear-cutting, but with burning, they burn old growth or something on the forest. Anyway, that's what he's doing. He's getting rid of brush. So he gets his flamethrower and he's gonna go out there and flamethrow this thing, which also is funny because thinking about the aliens movie and thinking about him and thinking about the guy that does the special effects and now we got flamethrowers again as well as these eggplant head monsters. It just all kind of ties together. It's a little, it's a little too close at times. A little too close, but they're still their own thing for sure, because they're just different movies. One's horror, one's dark fantasy horror kind of thing and the other one is sci-fi so they're, they're 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 in their own lane you know they're in their own lane they just might be driving similar cars if you know what i'm saying so he gets his flamethrower he goes out he decides that this is the last you know this is what he's going to do he tells the kids because of course they're scared of him at first because they think this is the guy that wants to kill us he's just going to feed us to the monster or whatever but he lets them know hey I i shouldn't have unleashed this thing on you or whatever so i'm going to make it right so they have, they all it all comes to a head, and this is the only part in the film where you re, you get a really good close up look of Pumpkinhead's face, and it's strange it's it's a eerie face because it does look human, but when it snarls and stuff, it looks kind of it, it does look demonic, but it is very human looking, but you can tell it's got these like demon qualities in it just just the face it just looks that that it just looks angry, but it does look human, and it reminds me a little bit of. Oh, oh! what was that on? The VHS films, they're, they're called VHS, I believe. And uh, one of them has uh, Ratnik. Is it called Ratnik? Ratnar? Something like that. It's, it's the scene where it has the sewer rat thing, and it comes out, and it's it, these people start worshipping it. And I think it gives them eternal life or something. I can't remember that. But when it comes out, it's this disgusting-looking monster, and it's got the weird-shaped head, too. But the front of its skull is shaped like a face. And that's sort of what, what Pumpkin Head reminds me of, just just a little bit. Let me let me know if you see that, if you see that similarity. Cause I would like to know. I can't be the only person who sees that. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. So Ed goes out, he's got his flamethrower, he's ready to make some stuff happen. And as he's walking out, Goofball stabs himself on a pitchfork, and not just like you bump into a counter or something. I mean, full-blown stabs his whole shoulder and everything with this pitchfork. So he go, of course, it hurts pumpkin head, which slows him down. But he goes and he pulls himself off of it and he decides that he's not going to be able to kill this thing now with the flamethrower and all that other stuff. So he ends up getting a gun. He points it to his head. It's this very dramatic scene. He pulls the trigger and boom, Pumpkinhead drops. And everybody's relieved. Well, except Ed, of course, because he just shot himself in the head. But everyone else is relieved for just a second. And then Pumpkinhead jumps back up. And the girl goes and she's running, she's grabbing the gun. She goes over, you find out that Ed is not dead. So I don't know what caliber of gun this was that he shot himself in the head with, but it couldn't have been much because he's still alive and Ed tells her to kill him. She's like, you know, you got. he's saying, you got to kill me, you know, kill me, kill me, whatever, finish it. And so she points the gun at him, shoots him in the head a second time. This drops both of them. Ed and Pumpkinhead, and then when Pumpkinhead goes down this time, his body catches on fire and he's burned to nothing. Now, interesting point about this, and I haven't seen the other Pumpkinheads that follow this, but... What this is going to look like is she just murdered this dude. So when the, the police, I mean, this is not stupid to think about this in the horror movie, but just the random thought I had was, well, it's going to look like she just mur- shot this guy twice in the head and all these other people are dead. So I'm sure you can claim self-defense or whatever. That's thinking a little too much about it. But I just thought that was a funny thought. Like, oh no, the body of Pumpkinhead's going to burn up. She's going to have no evidence. It's just going to look like she came over and killed this farm guy. Or he wasn't the farm guy, but he, you know, this mountain dude. So that's the end of the movie. Uh, well, that's the end of Pumpkinhead, at least. The, the ending scene is haggis, and she's, she's carrying the body of Pumpkinhead now. It's not the large one. It's just small like what Ed dug up out of the uh, tree stump at the pumpkin patch. And when she's putting it in the ground, it looks humanish. And I want to say, and I don't know if it's just my eyes with me or not, but messing with me or not, but the head of the human that she was burying looked elongated, you know, like the Pumpkinhead monster. So she puts the thing in the ground. She starts throwing dirt on it and it zooms in as dirt is covering this body. And you see that Pumpkinhead is wearing the necklace that at the very beginning of the film, the son had made for Ed. And I haven't read any, I haven't looked up any YouTube video reviews on this. I know there's probably a thousand of them and a bunch of stuff that people have written about it now. But at that point in the film, I don't, I don't know what that was trying to say. Is that trying to say that Ed's son is now the new like proxy body for Pumpkinhead or is it just saying that there was there was a point where she uh where the witch had Ed leave the body of the son with her while he went and did some stuff so did she take it off of the boy and then put it on the body of this Pumpkinhead thing when she buried him like did she have to have that you know, amulet type thing, or what is something? I, I don't know what it is. So, if you know, let me know because I'm not sure. Is that supposed to be the sun? Is that supposed to be Ed, or is that just the normal like? Is each pumpkin head monster the victim of the the vengeance or whatever? You know, the one who's supposed to be avenged. I don't know. Interesting to know. Let me know. Maybe I'll look up a video later. I don't know. But I will say that's the end of this film. I thought, especially at the end, that to me was a gothic scene. When I say that this movie kind of plays out like a fable, I think because it deals with revenge and the dangers of harboring, you know, hate and revenge and vengeful feelings and all that, and how, you know, if you were to kill someone out of anger or revenge, you kill that person, but kill your soul as well, and all this kind of other themes that run through it, and that's how it felt to me. It felt felt like a gothic tale, really. You know, it didn't have the castles and all that, but the theme itself. Oh, and the lighting and the sound and all that stuff, you know, was very dark. And like I said, those dark purplish blues and the red and all that. It's almost, and maybe, the, I bet this whole film, other than the outside scenes that are obviously outside, was on a soundstage. And the only reason I say that is because the it has a lot of strobing, what I call like canned lightning just kind of strobing lights, it's obviously just a strobe light. At night, the moonlight that's shining down is just, you can tell it's just a spotlight that's filtered through some smoke and a couple of other things to make it look the way it does. So, you know, as as I was watching it, I just couldn't figure out why it felt so, I don't know, so, so smooth, but seemed also like a stage play kind of thing. And I think that's why, is because not only the lighting and the sounds and all that were very soundboardish and cookie-cutter-ish, but it's how they were used. And the camera shots themselves were framed. There's not a lot of moving shots. It took me forever to figure out why it felt weird, why each shot felt weird. It's because most of them are shot from, I would say, a you know, a tripod or a stand or something. And they just turn with the people as they walk. So they don't track the people, if that makes sense. It's not walking with them. It's just following them as they walk through the scene. And if you watch it, and it just kind of helps with this whole framed, stilted, uh, you know, on a stage, obviously. If if you were acting on a stage or doing something like that, all you have is that lateral movement. So that's why it felt like that, I think, along with the canned lightning and chittery sounds and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of jump scares throughout it. No monster CGI, nothing like that. So, of course, that helps with that 80s classic culty vibe. And I thought it was a good movie. I'll end it with a quote from the actor who played Ed Harley. He was asked in an interview with the Rumor magazine, and they asked him, does he have any idea why Pumpkinhead continues to resonate with a wide variety of horror fans? And I don't know when this article was written. I forgot to look that up. But it wasn't soon after the movie. It was way in the... Let's just say it was in the 2000s at this point. And he just said that he has a feeling it's because there's a certain sincerity in it, a poetic sincerity that helps it survive. And I would 100% agree with that statement, a poetic sincerity. So how you're able to find that in an 80s monster flick, well, I think it's very much because of his acting, but the story itself. But it does have that because you're dealing with families and people being alone and, you know, being the lone survivor of a family and all that kind of stuff. And then revenge on top of it. I just really enjoyed it. It was a cool horror flick, had a good story to it. Props to 80s monsters check it out, man, alright? This has been Just James Horror Reviews. I'm your host, Just James. Take care!